Well, good morning again. My name is Brian. Um, we are really excited to be in the middle of this series called Stranger Things. And if that intro makes you want to go binge watch some Netflix, I'm right there with you. I understand. I get it. And so we use the title Stranger Things, and perhaps you've heard of the show on Netflix. Maybe you've seen it before. They've got three seasons. Last one just came out last month. It was a really big deal. It's one of Netflix's most popular shows ever. People just really love it. If you've never seen it, you're in good shape. You don't actually need to know anything for this message series, which is the good news, right? Because some people are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But the series Stranger Things is based on a Netflix show that is about some young preteens and teenage kids who live in rural Hawkins, Indiana, and some really crazy, strange things happen, thus the name. Some supernatural things, things they, they can't explain, things like monsters and people having telekinetic powers and being able to move things with their minds and other dimensions and all that crazy stuff. And it's based in the 80s, and so for me, I really get nostalgic. It's really amazing to see some of that stuff, and people really like that part of it, too. And so we're talking talking about Stranger Things, but we're not talking about the Netflix show. We're talking about Stranger Things that are in the Bible. Because if we're really honest with ourselves, sometimes we read these stories in the Bible, and there's some really strange things that happen. Sometimes we read these, and they're like, that's, that's great, but then how does that apply to my life? How do I take this and read this story that happened all those years ago, and it's kind of weird, kind of strange, and now how do I get that to apply to my life in some way that's relevant to me today, now, right? I don't know if you've ever felt that way reading these stories. And so today we're going to jump in and we're going to take a look at some stranger things. And last week we kicked the series off and we talked about a guy named Lazarus. And if you missed it, I'd encourage you to go online, listen to it. It was the start to our series. And this week we're going to continue and talk about stranger things. And for me, you know, reflecting back and thinking of the strange stories that happened in my life, because if we're honest, we all have things that were a little strange that we did or that we were a part of or, you know, some of those things we just thankful. I've heard people several times say they were just really glad they didn't grow up when there's social media. Can I just get an amen, somebody? I am really thankful that there is not social media to log some of the things that happened in my life, right? Just just take a breath, right? No one can go back and find that stuff, find that dirt. It's, a, it's just a terrible thing. So strange things happen, and I was reflecting and thinking about some things that happened in college, and for me, college, you know, was a good experience, and I went to Bible school to, to be a pastor, which you can actually do. Sometimes people are surprised by, that. oh, you can actually waste money and go to college for that. Yes, you can get student loans and be a pastor. It's really economically sound, good idea to do. So uh, I remember going to school, and I was, you know, I would say average student, a little above average, uh, in high school, I, I, I graduated with honors, so there's that, right? And uh, in college, I, I, I did pretty good, um, about average. And, and I remember this one class that I had to take freshman year, it was called hermeneutics. And hermeneutics, if you're unfamiliar with biblical study, is just basically being able to understand biblically what was happening, what was culturally relevant. So they heard things in their culture, in their context, that they understand and they got that we wouldn't get. It would be like a hundred or a thousand years from now, them seeing some of the memes that we see on the internet, and they'd be like, what does that have to do with anything? Like, what does that even mean? They wouldn't be able to read between the lines and understand what the meme was saying because they don't understand the culture. And so hermeneutics is just basically the understanding of their culture, what they were doing, and saying, oh, okay, that, that makes more sense now. It was a really hard class, um, not necessarily because the subject matter was difficult, but because the professor, I don't know if you've ever had one of those teachers before, man, this guy was tough. He was tough, he knew it, and he liked it, right? He was like one of those guys, like that was his reputation. This class is going to be hard. So the good news for me is that a guy on my floor, my good friend James, who you've probably heard me share a story with before, still, still a good friend of mine all these years later, 
And you'll be surprised after some of these stories that I am still friends. But anyway, um, he had taken the class one semester earlier. So he had it the first semester of our freshman year. I had it the second semester of freshman year. And he was just right down the hall from me, a couple doors down. And so I'm struggling with the class. And so James, being the good friend that he is, he's going to help me study for this class, for the tests that were coming up. And I'm not exaggerating this. It would get really late at night and I was just too tired to study. He would lock me in his dorm room, like physically, and he was a bigger guy than me. So it was like, I was gonna lose this battle. And he would make me study in his room, like lock me in. And I would just be so tired. I'm like, it's just good enough. I know enough. And he'd start, no, Brian, you've got to know an answer. And it's just like, like a drill sergeant. Like I had to know all these answers and just completely sleep deprived. And Surprisingly, it worked. Uh, I did really good in the class, um, studied for all the tests, and you know, it was really hard. A lot of memorizations, outlining entire books of the Bible from memory, doing all that. I mean, it's just really, really crazy stuff. But because of his help and his support and forcing me to study, I, I got an A in the class. And was kind of a big deal, um, later that week after the class was over, I was meeting with my um, like the guidance counselor, your advisor, who's supposed to help you pick classes, make sure you're doing okay. And uh, we sit down, he opens up my my file or whatever, and first thing out of his mouth, oh, I see you got an A in hermeneutics. We don't really need to discuss anything else. You're doing pretty good. So is there anything else you need for me? And that was like the whole, I'm like, no, I only have James for that one class. I don't have him for everything. You know, I just like the next three years, I didn't have James locking me in. His, some other things happened, but those are other stories for other days. Some crazy, crazy stuff. My boy James is a little crazy, and I love him for it, um, but I was thinking about that experience, and I, I don't know if you've ever done something, and because you've done the right thing, like, it didn't work out for you. Have you ever been there? Like, you stood up, did the right thing, and then you kind of end up paying the price for doing the right thing. You're like, what? that was a great win. I don't know if you've ever been there. I remember one time in college that this test for this class, it was like one of those classes that everybody, regardless of what your major is, everyone has to take it, one of those general electives. And uh, it was like history or something like that. I can't even remember what the class was. And apparently the professors who taught it, and there was a big group of them, because there were a lot of people, everyone had to take the class every year, um, they, they just got lazy and didn't recreate the test. Um, so apparently there was like this known thing that like a copy of the test was out, like the final exam. Um, and so, and this was like, digital. We had phones. We didn't know how to text with them. We could barely make calls. My phone, my first cell phone in college, man, come on somebody, that one inch monochrome green screen, unbelievable. I mean, it was just the most, I wish I had it here to show you guys. You just wouldn't believe how awesome our technology was then. But there was actually a printed copy that would get distributed and people would um, study this test. The worst part about it is this test was multiple choice. So people would just straight up memorize the letter number of, you know, the sequence of the answers, A, C, D, B, whatever it was. They just straight up memorized it. So we go to take this exam. A lot of people apparently had seen it. There's a ton of people, a couple hundred people taking it at one time. They pass it out. Don't turn it over till they say go, right? Turn it over. And literally you can just see people's pencils just flying down, not even reading the questions. A, C, D, B, just like filling them in. Boom, 30 seconds, go turn it in. I'm like... I mean, if you're going to cheat, I mean, come on, at least know how to cheat, right? Right? And so, uh, and so some people fill it out that fast. Other people are taking their time with it. So apparently, 
it was a record-breaking grade for that final that year, right? Everyone in the school just magically does so well. And then the, they don't even, like, they, they know, but they're just so passive-aggressive about it. You know, they don't, like, call anyone out. It's just, like, calling up, giving everyone his grade. Oh, I see you got 100. How, how, how did that happen? Right? And that, that, that's, like, the response. And so for those people who didn't cheat, who actually studied, some people did well. And then some people who are average students without James, like me, you know, and if you didn't cheat, then you just got the grade that you got, even though everyone else got 100% an A in the class right and so you did the right thing the pressure was well everyone's cheating off the test they're not going to get in trouble for it apparently the professors are like whatever you know you just, how'd you get 100 that's awesome you're going to admit to me that you cheated and you did the right thing and you didn't get the good grade like everyone else done I don't know if you've ever been in an experience like that where you felt like I'm going to stand up I'm going to do the right thing I know everyone else is doing it but I'm just going to do the right thing and then you just get stuck with the average letter grade I don't know if you've ever been there in any situation but honestly it's something that we face all the time in our culture, in our society. There's all these, these outside pressures that are you know, really tempting us or forcing us or challenging us to go against what God has asked us to do. And so I want to take a moment here and pause because what we've got to understand is that when we made a decision to follow Jesus, when we surrendered our life to him, that he has asked us to live a certain way. And so it's really easy to confuse this in our society and culture. See, if people have yet to make a decision for Jesus, if people are not following after God, then they don't need to live and follow out the standards that God has lined out for us in the Bible. That's not the weight, that's not the burden, that's not something that they have to do. But as Christ followers, when we make a decision for Jesus, when we say yes to following after God, there are certain ways that God asks us to live. And it's not because we have to, and it's not out of guilt or obligation we shame people and beat people down with the Bible and say, this is what you're supposed to do. It's not what it's about. See, just like we sang these songs up here out as an act of worship, saying that God is good, that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he saved us, that he's changed our lives, and we're so grateful, and so we just sing a song of gratitude and worship to him. Just like our giving, when we give, it's not out of obligation or guilt, but it's an act of worship that we, we give, that we're generous, that we serve, that we give back, that we do things like feed my starving children and packing food. It's all an act of worship. In the same way, when we live the way that God has asked us to live, the way that he's outlined it for us in his word, it's an act of worship, that we're bringing God glory by what we do. And so this is something that as Christ followers, God has called us, challenged us to do. And so in our society, all the time, we're forced to face options where we are tempted or drawn or just challenged or whatever to live outside of that way that God has asked us to live. Matter of fact, in our culture, it's becoming more and more prevalent, more prevailing. And so something that I want to talk about today is talk about a story of some people who face the very similar odds, and really this is nothing new. It's nothing new to be forced to try to live outside of the way that God wants us to live. Matter of fact, culture, when you're living for God, most of the world's going to be going the opposite way that we are going. And so I want to take a look at a story in the Bible these three Hebrew guys, and you may have heard of them before, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is a mouthful. And so if you were a VeggieTales fans back in the day, they really got it right. They call it Rack, Shack, and Benny, which is a whole lot easier thing to say. But there's these three Hebrew guys, and to give you a little bit of context before we read their story, is that they lived in a time where God's people, they were in exile. So they had their own nation, they had their own cities, but what happened is this big bad nation called Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar, they come in and they just decimate their cities 
cities. They plunder it. They, matter of fact, they take all the people. They take them into exile, and so they bring them up to their city. They bring them up to Babylon. They put them all to work, make them work there. They're no longer going to be able to live in their culture anymore. They can't serve and follow their God, the God of the Bible anymore. And so they're in a really difficult situation. And so we read about the story of these three guys, and they were not only there in exile, living away from their land, away from their people, they were already put to work for the king. And so they find themselves in a very difficult situation. See, King Nebuchadnezzar, he makes, he's, this guy's kind of full of himself, just a little bit. I mean, he makes a big gold image of himself, which I think you've got to be pretty confident, you know, to make a, make a statue of yourself for people to worship. So he makes this big gold statue, and he wants everyone in the kingdom to worship it. They're going to strike up the band, they're going to strike up the music, and whenever they do this, everyone has to bow down. So we're going to pick up in the book of Daniel. And it says this, starting in verse 4, um, and if you have it, it's on the screens, you can read along. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lie, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments, apparently they had a full band, bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Hmm, pretty big penalty there, right? You either do it or you die. So it continues in verse 7, so at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bow to the ground and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But to pause there for just one moment. So what happens is these three guys that we talked about, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even though they're not in their land, they're not in their culture, they decide, no, God has told us that we're not supposed to worship any other God than him. So they're not going to bow down. They're not going to worship. And so what happens, we find out that tattletaling actually doesn't have its origins in your living room or in your car with your kids, it actually has its origins back in Nebuchadnezzar's day in Babylon. Because there's these tattletales who decide, they're going to say, hey king, these guys aren't worshiping and bowing down. Maybe if you have kids, it's a familiar sound. That's how I read the story in my head, because I've got young kids and I just hear them, you know, tattling on it. But anyway, and they'd say, hey, didn't you tell everyone they had to bow down? He's like, that's right. Well, there's these three guys. Yeah, not, you know, they, they're not bowing down. I don't know what to say. They just, they said no. What are we going to do about it? And so King Nebuchadnezzar hears about this. In verse 13, here's his response. That Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said, Is it true that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I will give you one more chance. See, this doesn't sound like a parent thing. Come on, doesn't it just come across like the whole parent? I'm going to give you one more time. I'm going to count to three. No, he doesn't say that. I'm going to give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? In verse 16, it continues, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they reply, and they say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we were thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Don't you love how polite they are in all of this and disobedience? But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the God, the gold statue you have set up. And so what happens is they just flat out refuse. They're not going to do it. He says, I'm going to give you one more chance. You can do this. You can bow down. I'm going to throw into the fire. And they say, nope, we're not going to do it. We're not going to follow through. We're sorry, not sorry. And they decide not to do it. So Nebuchadnezzar, he's very angry. He has the furnace heated up seven times hotter than normal. They turn it up to 11, right? They just dial this baby up. It's just ready to go. They're going to throw him in. They have some really strong guys tie them up, and they throw him into the furnace. The furnace is so blazing hot that the guys that throw him in to the furnace, actually die. 
I mean, it's, it's kind of a hot furnace, right? Feel bad for the guys who are just following orders. Go throw them, and then they die because the fire is so intense. And so this is what happens. They're all thrown, the three of them. They're in the furnace now, and this is what happens in verse 24. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in an amazement and explained to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. In verse 25, look, he shouts, I see four men unbound and walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and all their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. Talk about stranger things. You can't even be in the smoking section and not smell like smoke. These guys were in a furnace and come out completely untouched. In verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar says, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defiled the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god other than their own. Therefore I make this decree, if any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb. This guy's a little bit extreme if you haven't figured this out yet. And their houses will be burned to the ground, right? Burned into heaps of rubble. There is no other god who can rescue like this. In verse 30, it finishes, Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Pretty strange story, right? And maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you grew up in church and you're like, Brian, this is like Sunday School 101. I've seen the felt board for this. I've seen the little fire and I've seen the little felt Shadrach go into the fire. Right? You've been there. VBS story, right? It's a really popular kid's story. I mean, crying out loud, there's a veggie tales about it, Brian. Shadrach, Rack, Shack, and Benny, right? Except they're vegetables and they get grilled. No, I'm just kidding. They're <laughs> Stay with it, Brian. So, really strange story. What does it have to do to us, do with us? We read these stories, we hear about these people, that's great, they didn't bow down, they stood up, they get thrown in the fire, that's pretty strange. There's this fourth thing that shows up, what's that about? They don't even smell like smoke, the fire's so hot, the guy's throwing them in, get burned, right? How far did King Nebuchadnezzar have to be standing away, shouting into the furnace so he didn't get burned? How did they hear him? I mean, that's kind of strange, right? It had to have been a really strange story, but how does that apply to our lives? What are some truths that we can take from this when we read this story that apply to our life right now? Well, I have a few of them, and the first one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, is that it will cost you when you choose to follow God in this culture. When you make the choice to follow God in our culture, it will cost you something. And see, this is sometimes where this gets a little bit uncomfortable talking about this when we make a decision to follow after God is that sometimes when we choose to give God the glory and worship with our lives, sometimes saying yes to living the way that God has asked us to live, sometimes it will cost us something. And what does that look like? So you see here in verse 20, he said, So he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. Why? Because they were unwilling to compromise. They were unwilling to live outside of the way that God asked them to live. They knew even though they were in a different culture, they were a different society, they were in a different nation that worshipped all kinds of different gods, they knew that the God they served told them, you will bow down to no other God but me. And so they make the decision 
decision and what did it do? It cost them something, and it cost them their lives being thrown in. But see, I'm thankful for us most of the times that it doesn't cost us our lives. And honestly, there are people who following after Jesus has cost them their lives. We call them martyrs, people who made a decision. It still happens today in our world. It's amazing to even think about that. But people who make a decision who say that they're going to follow Jesus and given the opportunity to say they don't believe in God, they don't believe in Jesus, and their life will be spared, and they make the decision, and they're literally killed for it, executed because of their faith. I'm so thankful that we live in a nation that allows religious freedom and that we can worship and gather and not be afraid of people storming the doors and persecuting us for following after God. But the reality is that we will pay a price for following after Jesus. There is a cost for following him. And see, what does that cost look like? See, sometimes that cost might look like a relationship or needing boundaries in a relationship. Because sometimes the people that we do life with or the people that we get around may maybe just try to influence us to live opposite of the way that God wants us to live. Maybe cause us to do some things that we know aren't the greatest lifestyle choices. And maybe even beyond the Bible, some things that aren't really great that we should be doing. And so making a decision to follow Jesus and live the way that he's asked us to live, sometimes it costs us those relationships. Or sometimes it costs us having a boundary in that relationship, knowing that we can't go there with somebody. And sometimes the cost will cost us something in our career. Maybe something that we're not willing to fudge the books or to look the other way. And everyone else is doing it. Everyone else is doing it. Everyone else does this thing to get promoted or just fudges the numbers or the taxes a little bit or whatever it is. But see, following after God, and you make it say, you know what, I'm not going to go there. Everyone else might be doing it. It might be a great way to advance my career or advance myself, get further along in this position. But instead, it's going to cost you something because you're going to say, you know what, no. I'm not going to do it. Everyone else might doing it. It might cost you an advancement. It might cost you the promotion because you're not willing to do it the way outside of the way God asked you to live with integrity and being honest and putting others first. See, it might cost you something that's a personal preference. See, many times in our society, in our culture, we look around and there's so much pressure to just simply, even with the way that God's asked us to live in the Bible and the way that things that he's explained for us that, that are for our good, not things that he's just, you know, the fun sucker and the killjoy and the party pooper and doesn't want us to have fun lives. No, the things that he asks us to do are for our good. But in our society, in our culture, so much more, it's just, even as a Christ follower, it would be a whole, and I'd be right there with you, it'd be a whole lot easier to be able to just pick and choose what I want to believe and follow in the Bible. But God doesn't give us that option. And so many times, the things that we have to do, we might not like doing. It's like when you ask your kids to do something, they might not like doing it, but it's for their benefit, right? They don't want to get a bath. Well, you stink, you've got to get one. Right? I want to clean the room. Well, you can't live in this pigsty. There's a dad word for you. This pigsty. You need to clean this up right now, right? But because the same thing, God asks us to do things that might not be our preference, so the cost might be something that's our choice or our preference. See, sometimes the cost might having to do something that we might not necessarily want to do. Maybe God calls us to do something or challenges us to give or, or serve in a certain way or to just really do something that he's calling us and challenging us to do, and we may have to lay down our pride. We may have to lay down our plans See, sometimes the cost may be your plans and what you are wanting. But I do know this to be true. I don't know what the cost will be for you. But if you are following after God, there will be a cost. There will be a price to pay. Matter of fact, the more that we live like Jesus, the more we're going to look differently from those around us. The Bible tells us that we are supposed to live holy like Jesus is holy. What does that mean? What is holy? What is that word? Like the Holy Bible? It simply means to live different, to be set apart. That when we say yes to following after Jesus, our lives should begin to look different than the rest of the world around us. Because we're trying daily to live more like Jesus. 
And so there will be a cost. I don't know what it will be for you, but there will be a cost when we choose to follow God in this culture. Here's the good news, point number two, is when we go through the fire, you are not alone. Did you catch it in verse 25? He says, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouts, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. See, here's what I want us to get today, that yes, there's going to be a cost, but here's what I know for my life, and I want this to be true for all of us. No matter what cost, no matter what price, no matter what we lay down, that will pale in comparison to having Jesus with you no matter what you're going to have to go through. See, no matter what fire, no matter what persecution, no matter what other people think, because when you start making a decision and standing for Jesus, people are not going to applaud you. Those friends, those relationships that might need to change and need boundaries, they're not going to applaud you and say, oh, that's just so great that you're trying to live. No, there might be some persecution that you have to go through, some difficulties and some relationships as those change. If you're making a stand in your job, in your career, in your school, and you're making a choice to live with integrity, people aren't going to applaud. Well, who do you think you are? You're just too good? You see, there might be some persecution that you have to go through. There may be some fire that you have to go through. You may make a decision be like, you know what, I, I don't completely know. I don't understand, but God, I understand this is the way you want me to live. This is something you're calling me to do. I'm going to lay down my plans and follow you. There might be some fire, some trials that you have to go through when you say yes to the plan of God for your life. But the good news is no matter what you go through, no matter what you face, just like there was that fourth man in the fire that day, you will never be alone. Jesus will be with you no matter what you're going, no matter what you're facing. And I don't know today what you're going through. I don't know today what you're facing. I don't know what the fire, the trial looks like in your life, in your family, in your job, in your school, whatever is going on. But I want you to know this and hear me say this today. If you get nothing else from this strange story today, is that Jesus is with you when you go through the fire. You are are not alone. You are not alone. The next one is this. And this one's hard. This one's painful for me. Following Jesus requires full surrender. Following Jesus requires full surrender. Take a look at what it says in verse 17 and 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they reply, they say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God who serve, we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. And then verse 18, this is like the punch in the gut. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods. This looks like to me full surrender for God. See, they, they knew, these guys knew that God was capable of stepping in and saving the day. And he was, he is, he's completely able. But see, just like we said that there are people who lay down their lives and who are martyrs, some people for like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it worked out for them, right? God saved the day. But see, there are some people who are put to that test and they don't get to live any longer, at least on this earth. And see, to me, this speaks that Jesus is looking for people who are all in full surrender. God, that even if you don't come through, I believe you can I believe that you're able. I believe that you can come in and change this situation. I believe you can fix this relationship. I believe you can fix this marriage. You can fix this family. I believe you can change this. I believe you can help me get the promotion. I hope you can get me out of debt. Whatever it is, I believe that you can do it and you will save me from it. But even if it doesn't work out the way that I wanted it to work out, you catch that? But I'm still going to do it. See, this is a big shift in our mentality of being Christ followers. That's not just about what God can do for us. That we just don't serve and follow God and give our lives to him just because of what he can do and how he can change and better our lives. And friends, he can. Jesus can change your life. 
He can make it better. He can improve it. It's amazing what happens when you begin to lay your life down to him. It's amazing what happens when you go into full surrender. And that's saying yes to a life of following after Jesus. He's looking for people who are all in full surrender, holding nothing back. God, I believe you can, but even if you don't, I'm in. I'm in. Man, that challenges me like nothing else. The final point I want to share with you today is this, is that God receives all the glory when we choose to live our lives for him. In verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar says, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defiled the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any other God except their own God. See, God receives all the glory when we choose to worship him. Just like we talked about That it's not just about singing songs and giving God worship through music. It's not just about our giving and serving, but the way that we live our lives, the choices that we make, the sacrifice that we make, and the price that we pay to put God first in our lives, whether it's the personal preference, whether it's a relationship, whether it's our own will or our plans, maybe it's even being obedient to something that God has been challenging us with, a character issue or lifestyle, whatever it is, When we choose to go there, when we choose to go all in, just like Nebuchadnezzar couldn't get over it and be like, man, the God that you serve is amazing and he's awesome. The same thing happens, even though people might not applaud us at first, and there may be a group of people in our culture and society who are actually down on us, which is pretty crazy to try to follow after God and live the way that he's asked us to live, and then to be called hateful or a bigot or just closed-minded, and you're just simply trying to follow after the way that God's asked us to live. There will be fire, no doubt, in our culture and society. There will be persecution if you go all in on this thing. But see, there will be those who will see it, And at the end of the day, God will receive all of the glory. And friends, I can think of no greater thing to do than to lay it all down for the one that laid it down for us. God who sent his son Jesus to die for us, to pay the price for our sins, our mistakes, our our mistakes, our screw-ups, our failures. The God who loved us so much that he decided to make our wrong right so we could have relationship with him. The God who loved us, who created us, who has a plan and a purpose for your life, who has a calling so much greater than you could ever imagine. This God who loved us so that we worship now by laying down our lives and going all in and saying, God, I'm I'm willing to pay the price, whatever may come, that God, you can change, you can save, you can cup step in and save the day the way that I think that I want you to. But even if you don't, I'm in. Friends, when we begin to live our lives this way as Christ followers, when we begin to live our lives unselfish and unhindered in our pursuit and our faith in God, see, I think the world and our culture as it gets darker and gets further and further away from God, what would it look like? What would it look like if some people who decided they were all in, some Christ followers are saying, you know what, no matter the persecution, no matter what the world tells me I'm supposed to be living, no matter the choices they're telling me I should be making, no matter what they say about this God that I follow, no matter the way they make fun of religion and following after Jesus, no matter how they make fun of my standards and how I'm going to live for God and live with integrity and put God first in my life, put him first in my marriage, put him first in my relationship, in my finances, in my calendar, no matter what it is, I'm going to put him first, I'm going to pursue him, what would it look like? like if we came together and began to live our lives for Christ this way, to lay it all down for him, to not make it as about us.
because I guarantee you when you start making decisions that get you thrown into a blazing fire, people are going to take note because that is not normal. That is a strange thing to make a decision to live your life for God in such a way that you are willing to pay the price. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning and we thank you as we read these strange stories in the Bible and how they apply to our lives. God, it can be so challenging sometimes and so inspiring to see the faith of these people who lived so long ago. God, I pray that you would just even give us a fraction of the boldness of these three men in this story. God, just even a fraction of the boldness that they had, God, to say no matter the cost, we're going to follow you. God, I pray this morning, God, that whatever it is, Lord, if it's a, a personal preference or the plan for our lives that we had made or a relationship that we know needs to change or needs some boundaries or maybe some things in our lives and our relationships or integrity or a job at school, whatever it is, God, God, that you would give us the boldness to put you first, to follow after you, to lay down our plans, our lives. God, give us the boldness to say that you can step in and save the day, but even if you don't, I'm in. God, that I'm not in this for what you can do for me, but because of how incredible, how awesome, how amazing you are, because of the love that you had for me, that you always have for me. God, it is my honor and my privilege to lay my life down for you and bring you glory and worship by my choices, by my actions, by how I react to each other, how I treat my spouse, how I treat my children, how I react to coworkers, how I treat my classmates, how I choose to love and put others first, how I choose to live the way that you've asked me to live. God, help us to have that kind of boldness to bring you glory and honor. God, I thank you. God, and I'm reminded at the end of the story, God, even though they paid the price, God, and you stepped in and you saved them, and God, the story ends with them getting promotion. God, I'm reminded that over and over and over again, God, throughout the Bible and even in my own life, God, when I have made that step to put you first, God, that you honor that. And God, no matter what the price we pay, no matter the sacrifice we make on the front end, that you were always with us. And God, whether we see it on this side of eternity or in the next side of eternity, God, you have not forgotten the choices and the decisions that we have made for you. God, and I truly believe that you will honor us and you will reward us, that God, your word says that you are moved by our faith. God, I pray that you be moved by our faith as we take a step for you to live in boldness, to put you first. Today, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to give you the opportunity, maybe for the first time, to say yes to a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're saying that you have never made a decision for Jesus. Maybe you grew up around church. Maybe you grew up with people who you knew were Christ followers. Maybe you were just never really into it. You weren't sure about this God thing or what it meant, but I want you to know today that there is a God who loves you, who created you, who has a plan for your life, and who wants nothing more than to have relationship with you. Matter of fact, God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you, to pay the price for your mistakes for your sin, and that's simply the sin that is just living apart or away from the way that God has called us to live, that we've all messed up. 
But the good news is that God loved you so much that he made a way that you can have a relationship with him and you can't earn it. None of us deserve it. None of us can be good enough. It's not about your good deeds, outweighing your bad deeds, or looking or dressing a certain way, or going to church enough. No, no, no. It's simply about surrendering your life, having a little bit of boldness like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and saying, you know what? I'm not going to do this on my own anymore. I'm going to give my life over to Jesus because I need him. Because when I go through that fire, I need him there. When I go through those trials and those difficulties in life, I need him with me. I can't do this on my own. If that's you today, we want to give you the opportunity to say yes to relationship with him. Maybe you're here today and one time you said yes to relationship with Jesus. Maybe you were following after him. Maybe you had an act of faith and you were involved and you were giving and you were serving and, and, and you look forward to being involved with church and things of God, but then life just began to happen. Things just got busy. Maybe something happened and you were hurt, you were wounded in some way, or life just got difficult and you couldn't reconcile a good God with a difficult situation. But I want you to know today, no matter what you have done, no matter how far you have gone, there is no place you can run. There's no place you can go. There's nothing you can have done beyond the love of God that he has for you. And he is waiting today. The word of God says that today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. No man has promised tomorrow. So if that's you today in either one of those categories, if you want to say yes to relationship for Jesus for the very first time, or you want to welcome back into your life and come back to a commitment to him, we we'll to just give you this opportunity while no one's looking around to just slip your hand up right now. If that's you, if you want to say yes, include me in that prayer today. Awesome. Awesome. We're going to pray out loud and repeat after me so that no one has to pray alone. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I believe in you come into my heart. Make me new. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you all of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we cheer and celebrate for those who made a decision to follow after Jesus today?